As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. He thought I pulled over because he acknowledged me by saying thanks for pulling Mm -hmm. over, but I pulled over because I've just got my head out the window looking for William. Mm -hmm. And then I drive really slow on more and I get to the riding school and I just think, he's not here. And then I bring the car back up and I just run out and I look for him again. That's the voice of the woman who has all of Australia captivated at the moment, 
although very few know her name. At the time of his disappearance in September 2014, that woman was the foster mother of three-and-a-half-year-old William Tyrrell. What you just heard was part of a video walkthrough she recorded with a female detective sometime later around Kendall in country New South Wales where she and her husband had taken William for a weekend to stay with her mother. It was, of course, from her mother's home that William vanished. Coming up later in the show, we'll hear from journalist Carolyn Overington, who's written a book, a podcast and presented a documentary series about the circumstances of William's disappearance. So we'll freshen up on all those minute details from the earliest hours, days and weeks of the investigation. But first, we'll catch up on the stunning developments of the last six days. As we publish this episode of Australian True Crime on Monday, November 22, still no one has been charged in relation to the disappearance of William Tyrrell. This is despite the fact that almost a week ago, New South Wales police began excavating several sites around the house formerly owned by William's foster grandmother, who's now deceased. And Police Commissioner Mick Fuller joined 2GB's Ben Fordham for this extraordinary interview. We've never given up on finding uh, what happened to William Tyrrell, and I've said that from day one when I started as the commissioner and I brought a new team on board under Detective Chief Inspector Dave Laidlaw, probably the state's most experienced homicide investigator, and he pulled together probably one of the best teams we've seen. And you're right, Ben, it's not a cold case. and It's been an active investigation, and they inherited what, what was a bit of a mess and, and have really cleaned up that investigation and, and they've got a clear strategy and one of those strategies is going back to Kendall in the mid-north coast today and, and conducting a search using some of the state's best, best um, experts in terms of forensics and other, other fields. They will continue to search bushland and other areas in the coming days, Ben, and, and, and we, we are hopeful that we will find some forensic evidence that will assist us solving this case. Some of the areas that you're searching are less than one kilometre from the house on Benaroon Drive where William vanished. Can I ask why you haven't searched these areas before? Well, the areas have been searched, Ben, but if you can imagine initially we were searching for a missing boy, and, and this is not unusual. We have people go missing every day, and that search area expanded. Then, you know, I suppose that the transition of the investigation was looking at some persons of interest that were, were clearly not, uh, and, and I think some time was wasted on that, and bushland has overgrown, and and so a fresh set of eyes under under the new team, under Detective Chief Inspector Laidlaw, and, and, you know, they've been meticulously pulling apart this matter. And they're going back to to revisit this location with, with, with some new technology as well, Ben. You know, my understanding is from the investigators is, is that there is certainly one, one person in particular that we are looking closely at. And I'm confident that the team who has the investigation at the moment, I'm confident they can solve it. I, I truly believe that, and I have from the start. And, and, and I would ask that, that, that whilst this matter has national potential global interest, that people continue to be patient and just trust in the officers that are currently investigating the matter, that they are the best. That was New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller talking to Ben Fordham on 2GB on November 16. The following day, November 17, New South Wales Police announced that William's foster parents had each been charged with one count of common assault against a child. The charges, they said, do not relate to William, but were laid by the officers investigating William's disappearance. The day after that, Thursday, November 17, 
Gary Jubelin stepped into Ben Fordham's radio studio at 2GB. When Police Commissioner Mick Fuller talked about the current investigative team being the best in the business and how they'd inherited a bit of a mess from the previous blokes, make no mistake, he was making some very personal jabs at the former Detective Inspector Gary Jubelin. Although it's been widely reported that the purpose of Jubilant's visit to Fordham's studio was to defend William's foster mother, I think it's more accurate to say that his motivation was to defend his investigation. But I'll let you be the judge. The way it's playing out very publicly, um, yeah, is a bit uh, strange, I'd have to say. Nominating one suspect is unusual. I'm, I'm trying to read from the sidelines because I'm not involved in it now. I hope they do get a breakthrough. It's publicly been outed that they're looking at the uh, foster mother and I think it's important that I say, like I own uh, what I did uh, in the four years I ran the investigation. When I took over the investigation five months after William disappeared, in the handover, Inspector Rupp uh, told me that the foster parents had been eliminated and uh, that, was a, that was a starting point. You know William's foster parents well. Do you consider them friends? It's a strange relationship when you're investigating a crime and the people that uh, are victims of crime. So friendship, you could define it as friendship, but it's a relationship built on a professional uh, association uh, through uh, working on the investigation. You're trained to judge people's character. What's your impression of William's foster mother? My impression is that she's a very decent human being. And uh, I certainly, whenever I'm dealing with victims, and this is the, uh, the detective in me, that I'm always looking out for something, uh, something suspicious. And I've got to say, I have not picked up any of that. And I, I might also say that uh, I think it was about 18 months into the investigation that uh, certain members of the strike force suggested there were things that we need to clarify with um, uh, William's foster parents. I wasn't overly concerned about it, but uh, they uh, put it to me, so I thought for the sake of making it sure it, we've uh, covered it, every possibility, I basically ambushed the parents and then I interrogated the parents and I formally interviewed the parents and then released the parents with a covert operation running. And based you, on You had a listening device in their car? Yes, and based on, uh, based on the answers to those questions and also the information that we gathered during the covert operation, they were again eliminated. And I publicly said that at a press conference with the Premier and uh, the Commissioner. You, you went hard on them when you interrogated them? Yeah. I, I, I mean, been, you're famous for going hard I've on I've been accused suspects. of a lot of things but never been accused of not going hard. So, yes, I went, went hard on them. William's foster mother says she had nothing to do with his disappearance. Do you believe her? Look, I, I, I don't want to comment because it's an ongoing investigation. I, I'm going to say that uh, I saw no signs of uh, William's mother being involved in it and at the time that I was taken off the investigation, I was certainly of the belief that uh, not involved in it. And Have you spoken to the foster mother in the past week or so as the investigation has focused on her? No, no, I haven't had contact with her. And I, I think, yeah, one thing I would say, and I caution everyone to let's just take a step back and stop being armchair detectives. There's a lot of speculation. And when we've been saying all along, uh, there is no evidence against William's foster mother. We're just reporting the fact that police have nominated her as the sole person of interest. She's always said she's had nothing to do with it. She has no knowledge of it and that needs to be put on the record regularly. Investigators want to know if William's foster mother has access to a second mobile phone. In other words, not her standard mobile phone number. 
Can you shed any light on that in your conversations with her? Has she ever contacted you from a, a second mobile phone number, not her normal no, standard number? I, I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. And certainly during the four years I led the investigation, we weren't aware of any, uh, any second phone. Did you investigate the theory that William might have died after falling from the balcony? Investigated every theory. It died of an accident, whether William was run over on the driveway or fell over and hit his head on the rock or fell off the balcony. That's the most obvious place when you look at the house that a child could injure themselves. So, so the balcony theory was explored? It, it, was, it was looked at and it was, it was a theory and I think that's a good way of putting it, a theory. What you've got to do when you're investigating homicide is you have theories but you've got to overlay them with facts. Part of the reason I've decided to come out and speak about the Tyrrell investigation, I, I haven't spoken publicly about it other than encouraging the police to uh, you know, go forward. When there's criticism that came out, that came out from the commissioner, that uh, we're chasing people that uh, proved to be uh, not suspects, what it really frustrates me about that is a lack of understanding of what a homicide investigation is. Homicide is about exploring all the possibilities. And I sit here very confidently, and that's why I take issue when uh, I hear comments that the investigation was in a shambles when it was take it, taken over. An investigation like William Tyrrell is probably the most highly reported on, as in reporting up the chain of command investigation we had in New South Wales. I did monthly reports, progress reports, detailing everything I was doing, what suspects I was targeting, what the future directions were. They were signed off by all my chain of command up to assistant commissioner level and there was not one ounce of criticism in the whole four years that I ran that investigation. The Daily Telegraph reports today that police have noticed inconsistencies when they inherited the case from you in 2019 and it suggested that William's foster mother told police that William was wearing shoes when he disappeared and in the photo of William that we all know where he's wearing the Spider-Man outfit on the day that he vanished, he was barefoot. And apparently it's reported that the foster mother was saying, oh, no, we had shoes on because there were bindies on the lawn and in case he stepped in dog poo, investigators are now saying that the family dog was dead and there were no bindies in the lawn. Do you know whether that was something that you explored in any way? I, I know that was explored, and that's the very thing I talk about, that everyone needs to take a step back, take a deep breath, and look at what we're uh, considering here. What I'm saying is, and what all that I can say, because I've been off this investigation for two years, ten months. At the time I left the investigation, there was no evidence that concerned me that the foster mother or foster father were involved in uh, William's disappearance. If that's changed, I'm not aware of it. I can say what I knew at the time I left the investigation or was taken off the investigation, there was absolutely no evidence that made me suspicious in regards to their involvement. And have you had any suspicions that have entered your mind having heard the news in the last week? I, I've been watching and I, I give respect to the police. I know they're in there they're try, trying hard. The timing of information that's been released is, um, yeah, it's a big coincidence, certain things and the way it's playing out very, very publicly. So, um, sometimes police do reveal information for operational reasons, though, right? Because oh, they want to see a reaction from people they might be looking Most into. definitely, and I, I would never criticise the police for that. I'm not being critical of the police. I encourage the police. If they've got a line of inquiry, I, I challenge them to follow it up to the nth n- degree. But I think what's the public nature of this investigation, we've all got to be a little bit careful.
That's former Detective Inspector Gary Jubelin, who led the investigation into the disappearance of William Tyrrell from 2015 until 2019. If you'd like to know more about Gary's 34-year career with New South Wales Police, you can listen to the episode of Australian True Crime we've reissued this week, in which he tells us all about it. Coming up after the break, Carolyn Overington, journalist and author of Missing William Tyrrell. Carolyn takes us back to Kendall on that terrible day in September 2014 and explains why she believes the investigation was doomed by the first decision. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There are a number of new suppression orders around the William Tyrrell case, which means that elements of the story that have been widely discussed and dissected in some cases for years are now unpublishable. So if you notice some glaring details missing from our coverage, or anyone else's for that matter, that's probably why. If you recall way back in the beginning of this story, many wondered why the little boy's parents weren't on the news begging for his safe return. Later, it emerged that because William was in the foster system, neither his foster parents nor his biological parents were legally allowed to speak to the media. In fact, in what was for me one of the saddest details to emerge from this story, our next guest reported that William's birth parents weren't allowed to join the search for him in Kendall. If they had done, they would have been in breach of a court order and potentially they might have risked precious visitation had he been found safe and well. Instead, his birth mother stayed home in Sydney and followed the search on Facebook. Caroline Overington's book about the case is called Missing William Tyrrell. 
Her podcast is called Nowhere Child and her documentary series for The Seven Network is called Seven News Investigates the Disappearance of William Tyrrell. However, due to those new suppression orders, that series is no longer available to stream. Gary Jubilin and Craig Lambert, two people who worked very closely on the investigation, almost came to blows over the direction of the investigation because it was the most, well, everyone will tell you this, it was the most frustrating case police had ever worked on. Firstly, because the stakes are so tremendously high. You have a three-year-old boy who is missing and the idea that he might be alive is even more terrifying than the idea that he may have been deceased. The possible scenarios for what could have happened to him, you can't imagine stakes that are higher. And so you also have no clues, you have no leads, you have no DNA, you have no witnesses, you have no one who can tell you what happened. So you're scratching around trying to find in the most desperate circumstances with two sets of parents who are absolutely beside themselves And also the fear of every parent in Australia. Can this really happen? Can our children really be snatched from such a quiet street in such a beautiful location and never be found? Is this something that can happen in this country? And, yes, they did indeed almost come to blows. And two very fit men, two really strong martial arts experts and they came they dropped their bags, they were going at each other, they had to be separated by other police. It has destroyed the lives of police officers as surely as it has destroyed the lives of everyone who has come close to it. The other thing that you cover so well in your book that I don't think anyone else has really covered, we are aware there are two families involved. But again, you make us really feel that feeling of can this happen in this country? Can a young couple who have not had all the advantages, you really paint the picture of two families, they come from very different spheres of Australian life. One one couple comes from an advantaged background and one comes from a disadvantaged background. And one couple is slightly older, one is a younger couple. And the younger couple, they're not bad people. They are people that I know, people that you know, I'm sure. They're, they're people that we really feel for and they've made mistakes as younger people. And as a consequence of that, they have lost custody of their child and They've made a mistake by snatching back William once before already because they're just so beside themselves about losing custody of him and that goes against them. And so they, they can't even go and join the search for him. It is heartbreaking, these two young people and their families and how they are kept at arm's length and they're following the search for him on Facebook and they're reading rumours about bodies being found and things like that. I mean, it's, it's absolutely devastating to read your account of their experience with this. You know, I think you've captured that absolutely perfectly. I think you've really um, given a lot of emotion and thought to that, to their plight. And I know that it's difficult for people. They think to themselves, well, you know, William's parents lost custody of him and he was in foster care when he went missing. So what kind of parents must he have? And I think what you've done there is really explained that beautifully. It doesn't mean you're bad people. I mean, whose family has not been affected by mental illness and sometimes by drug abuse or by alcohol abuse, by unemployment, by poverty? I mean, a decision was taken long before 
William went missing, that he was best placed in foster care. And we don't know whether that was ever going to be forever, whether his parents were ever going to maybe get him back one day, whether they would have been able to prove to the authorities that they were good people. I mean, they they would go on to have two more children. You know, William has siblings, full blood siblings living in the community. There are absolutely no winners, that's for sure. So for two years, really, you had the public, Australian people, really good people, like all of your listeners, I guarantee, will be really good people and you will have amongst them people who think, you know, but there was always something about that case that didn't smell right. There was always something about it that was a bit suspicious. When he went missing, where were the parents? Like why didn't anyone come out and say, please help us? Well, the reason was because he was a foster child Nobody was allowed to campaign for him. They really wanted to run a big campaign and billboards flashing and please help us find our son and and big posters everywhere. So his biological parents weren't allowed to speak up and his foster parents couldn't say anything. They weren't allowed to say anything either. And it didn't help William. It really hurt the campaign to find him. The other thing that didn't help that I found terrifying when you pointed it out was that initially, of course, everybody thought this was a little boy who'd wandered into the bush because of the terrain that the house was in. And so when everyone finally realised, no, he's been abducted, the area had been so disturbed. There was so much DNA. As, as somebody pointed out in your podcast that you interviewed, I mean, there's horses, there's, there's dogs, there's so many locals, there's people urinating out there while they're searching as you do, you know. What hope would you ever have of trying to pick up a trace of any perpetrator or any sign or scent? I mean, of course we would all run straight out there and try and help this little boy we thought were lost in the bush, but that was a problem, wasn't it? Yeah, and again, I think you've just described that perfectly. That's exactly what it was like. How can we possibly fault the good folk of Kendall and the mid-north coast of New South Wales for coming just flowing into the area. Someone told me it was like a carnival atmosphere. You know, there were coffee carts set up. You know, they had those trucks with the big lights on them. They had the pony club arrived, trail bike riders, dads and their sons from the surf club. You couldn't imagine a better bunch of people, really good people, hundreds of them. And they came because William didn't live there and he was three years old and he was in this flimsy little suit. The temperature was dropping and they really wanted to find him. And so they ran out into the bush and they searched shoulder to shoulder the way they do and they pushed back bramble and they cut through bush and and they wrecked the crime scene. They wrecked the crime scene and it's not their fault. And I really didn't want to write a book. I know that I've seen some commentary out there about, oh, the police, you know, they should be ashamed of themselves. All they wanted was to find him. And it doesn't help us to say well, they, you know, they mucked that up because imagine if they had found him. Imagine if they'd found him two weeks later hidden in a wombat hole yeah. and nobody had, had gone to look. Then we'd be saying, well, why didn't you search the, the bush properly? Mm. So, yes, there is a problem there. And I think next time a little boy goes missing like this or a little girl goes missing like this, and we know it will happen again, it would be a good idea to set up a cordon and to set up some police tape and not let everybody come tramping through the scene and and try to establish the fact that the immediate area around that house is a crime scene and and have some discipline around it because we don't know what DNA was lost. We don't know what clues there might have been. I mean, talking to people who were there on the day, they tell me that they drove in with their cars, often four-wheel drives, tarps on the back, caravans, 
drove out again, nobody checked their vehicle. Wheelie bins, you know, wheelie bins came and went, nobody checked them. Neighbours were asked to check their own caravans, their own big bush flocks up there. So a lot of people have caravans, have boats, have trailers, all of that stuff. They were told to check them themselves. Can you go and look in your cubby houses, under your house? You know, places where a little kid might go if he was lost. You can't. You can't have people checking their own houses. You can't. And you can't have strangers checking their houses because we just don't know now what was lost. But at the same time, we mustn't be too critical of the people who made those decisions because they might have been right. They might have been right. Oh, and it would never occur to me in a million years he would be anywhere else. I mean, as we said earlier, knowing the block now as we do and knowing the topography of the area, it would, to my mind, would be so much more likely that he had chased a butterfly into the bush than that anyone could possibly have crept all the way up to that house and pinched him without him yelling out, screaming, you know, it, it's just to me, it's so unlikely. I can't imagine. I think that's why it grips all of us so much is that I can't imagine what happened. I just can't fathom it. It, it's, it must drive police crazy. Do you think well, that they have a theory? Do you think anyone has a theory that they just can't prove? What do you think? Do you think there's something going on here like there was in the Morecambe case that we'll all find out one day? Absolutely, 100% I do. We will find out what happened to William. We will either find him or we will find out what happened to him. And that's what I, I mean, that's what I've tried to do in the book is try to explain to people how the investigation was done in the beginning and how that didn't bear any fruit, why we haven't been able to solve it because of those mistakes that were made early on, the missteps were made early on. But we have a number of very strong leads and we need to continue those leads. We need to continue to follow those leads. But there is something actually a little bit more mystical, I think, at stake here. I feel that the truth about these things wants to be known. William wants to be found. I do believe that. And I, and I look back at other cases that I have known and studied as a journalist or worked on, and I see sometimes how the, the truth floats to the surface, sometimes literally. Now, one case I always think about is the Azaria Chamberlain case. Yeah. The matinee jacket turned up. It turned up years and years after, after all the stories had done around, after everything had been chewed over. After it's all fallen away, there was the truth. Azaria had been taken by a dingo. As unbelievable as that seemed, that was the truth. And in Victoria, you have another case, a little boy called Jaden Lesky. Now, Jaden Lesky had disappeared from a home in Maui and no one was ever supposed to know what happened to him. And his body floated to the top of the Blue Rock Dam. He had been buried in a bag and thrown into the river and he floated to the surface because the truth wants to be seen. There's something I believe in our universe that points to the truth and when everything else has fallen away, we will find him and we will find out what happened to him. But what's really important is that we don't lose our focus in the investigation and particularly now. I mean, you and I are talking right in the middle of the biggest pandemic that the world has ever known. There is so much going on. We're all worried about our jobs, our children, how we're going to live, how we're going to survive. But William is still missing. And as long as he is still missing, the universe is tilted in slightly the wrong way. And we have to get it tilted back towards the truth. I do believe that. No, I agree with you. And I I keep thinking about Daniel Morecambe and about how 
out, it felt like the universe was tilted in the wrong way. And as you say, when his remains were found, it was it was miraculous because the area that they were found had been flooded. Remember, in the biggest floods in in a generation in Queensland, so recently before they were found, and the fact that anything was still there and hadn't been washed away was incredible. But they were still there. So yeah. yes, you're right. You're right. Putting it into a story like that, like with with Daniel, it has made all the difference to his yeah. family. It was an absolute tragedy to lose one of your twins. I can't yeah. imagine what it is like to lose a son, for a brother to lose his his twin. Mm. For this, I mean, how you go on. But there is in the Morkans a sense that at least we know. Yeah. Because when you don't know that your mind goes to terrible places and you are tortured and tormented forever. And in in this book I discuss some of the cases where people have not been able to find an answer. Mm -hmm. And there was one woman who said it was like stepping forward and finding the earth not there. You're forever in free fall because you can't, and you know that feeling, have you ever lost one of your twins when you were, you know, in the supermarket and you turn around for a minute and they're just not there, That, that ice cold fear you live with that forever so you have to know however bad the answer is however traumatic the truth is it is always better to know that's Caroline Overington, journalist and author of Missing William Tyrrell. She's still updating her podcast, Nowhere Child. And you can catch Gary Jubilant's podcast, I Catch Killers, and his book of the same name. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll keep you updated with this story. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. 
Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.